0: Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Thanks for joining us on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, or the show website. We appreciate you being with us. We have an incredible show for you today. It's called What's Up with Retail? This segment is brought to you by Buildout. Best marketing tool for your brokerage, visit buildout.com. So retail, and there's been a lot in the news about store closures. It seems like uh, everyone's kind of wants to know what's going on with retail. Please welcome my first guest, Barbara Denham. She's Senior Economist with Reese, and she's joining us on the phone. Barbara, thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Barbara, you heard the intro. People seem to be concerned with retail with all the store closings. Mm -hmm. What is showing up in your numbers? What's showing up in your analysis so far?
1: Well, what we're starting to see is a bit of a trickle of the impact of of store closures on the retail real estate market. What that means is 25 metros that we track, that's a third of the metros, we tracked 77 metros across the U.S., 25 of those, or one-third, saw vacancy rates increase, and about 20 saw rents decline. So, again, that's a trickle, but the national average, uh, the vacancy rate was flat at 9.9%. It's been 9.9% for just about a year now, and rent growth was positive. The overall average, national average rent grew by 0.3%. So, again, this is a bit of a trickle, but we're not seeing this major, major impact yet. Does that mean we won't see it in the next couple of quarters? Probably. Remember, most of these store closures were announcements. And we'll probably see much more of an impact in the next couple of quarters. But we're really not seeing in the retail real estate statistics yet. And we're not seeing it in the employment numbers as well. I don't know if you remember on Friday, but they said retail, the retail industry lost um, uh, tw- 35,000 jobs in March. And the net decline year-to-date is 25,000 retail jobs. But if you look at the restaurant industry, and as you know, restaurants lease retail space, they have been adding jobs. They added 20,000 jobs in March, and they've added 58,000 jobs year to date.
0: Yeah, and what about employment for everyone else, the people like us that go to these retailers and spend our money?
1: Uh, The retail overall, is I mean, sorry, the national economy overall is pretty strong. It's that we've added about 533,000 jobs in the first three months, so that's better than we've seen on an average basis in 2016. You now, obviously, the job growth in March wasn't so great, but that's because there were so much more jobs added in February because of the uh, weather patterns we saw.
0: Right. And let's talk about cap rates, Barbara, because it seems like all this news could impact the investment market. What have you seen? What have been the trends?
1: Yeah, we're definitely seeing some uptick in in um, retail cap rates. Uh, there are a lot of investors are very skittish because they're starting to see, you know, this again this trickle impact on retail real estate, but they know the deluge is coming. And while I'm still a lot more optimistic about the overall retail industry than a lot of people, again based on what I'm seeing in other industries like restaurant growth, I think the the hype in the market that this is, uh, you know, a property type that's not going to see the growth that the other property types are going to see. So you're starting to see investors uh, cash out, and and prices are going down, and cap rates are going up. But I I will um, caution that, remember, cap rates that we estimate are based on what closes. So a lot of the better properties, and there's a lot of very good, solid retail properties, are trading. And they're trading at a fair price, so we're not necessarily going to see a direct plummeting in the cap rate because what the cap rate is based on is what traded that quarter. And generally speaking, the assets that are trading are the better assets.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point, Barbara, because that's going to impact when we talk about average cap rates. So tell us about some cap rates on, on some of these nicer properties that you're seeing.
1: Well, uh, they've gone up between like 8% to 9%. So compared to, say, the office market and the apparel, uh, the apartment market, they're definitely higher, um, and they're going up slightly um, more so than the apartment market and the office market. So they've always been higher, though. They're just going up a bit more um, on a monthly or quarterly basis than the office and apartment market. But I will say, too, you know, interest rates are going up as well, and that generally translates into higher uh, cap rates based on financing costs and the, the risk premia associated with real estate. But we're not seeing a jump in cap rates like so many expected because remember that the the fed funds rate has only gone up um uh 0.5 percent in the last four or five months and um you know there's still a lot of optimism for some of the other property classes so it's it's there's so much volatility in the cap rates that you're not going to see a lot of you know significant trends mainly because again the different property classes that are trading are trading at pretty good values so those uh, cap rates aren't um, bumping up uh, on average like some people would expect to see.
0: So the cap rate increases you're seeing are 50 basis points. Uh,
1: yeah, about 50 to 75 basis points.
0: Okay, and you bring up an interesting point. You know how much of this is from a higher cost of funding uh, of the mortgages, and how much is from hey, we're a little afraid of retail. Right, right.
1: Uh, and I think the risk premium in retail is probably a bigger factor there. But, again, because so many of the better properties are trading, you're not going to see as high a, a risk premium as you would expect.
0: Do you, Barbara, do you see anything in the numbers, your retail numbers, that suggest there's some areas or market areas where there might be some uh, opportunities around the country?
1: Well, you know, some markets are doing better than others. I mean, markets like Atlanta and uh, other markets in the south, Nashville, Dallas, Austin, Um, And a lot of markets in Florida are doing pretty well. Charleston's doing pretty well. So, I mean, that's where we're seeing the biggest job growth in those properties. And a few, like Seattle, Washington, and Tacoma, are doing well um, in addition.
0: Well, I tell you why Atlanta's doing well because my wife lives here. <laughs> <laughs> She'll kill me for that one. Um, so so she's,
1: she's helping the retail market.
0: Oh yeah, she's helping. So what about areas that uh, you're seeing some uh, issues?
1: Well, it's mostly you know the the markets that aren't doing as well are the smaller ones across the country. Not not that you would be surprised to hear markets like Dayton, Ohio, Cleveland. Um, Lexington, Kentucky, Buffalo, Syracuse, New York. You know, you're seeing rent declines um, in most of these lower markets. You know, San Francisco and New York, you're seeing, uh, you know, overall apartment markets decline, but that's only because they had jumped so rapidly in the last few years. But retail rents are really only declining in a few uh, smaller sectors, um, it's smaller markets, um, but we did see a rent decline in Seattle and San Francisco for retail rents.
0: We're speaking with Barbara Denham, senior economist with RISA, about retail properties. And, and Barbara, are there certain property types where there still might be some opportunities, maybe in the small strip centers or in the grocery anchor centers?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, it's these are the statistics that we track, the neighborhood and community shopping centers. And these are the real estate statistics that are staying flat. So a solid grocery-anchored investment or uh, grocery-anchored strip center is probably a good asset because the grocery stores are doing well. They're adding jobs, and so many new grocery concepts are coming into the retail spaces, whether that's a Wegmans or um, a a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. um, These properties are going to do well. And, you know, most strip centers are uh, the inventory there is generally the type of retail that people need in a pinch pizza parlors, hardware stores, nail salons, these are not going to lose business to e-commerce like Macy's has and J.C. Penney has. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities out there if you if you do your homework.
0: How about a closing tip for retail real estate property owners today, Barbara?
1: Well, I think one of the interesting um, findings I'm seeing is the growth in this miscellaneous entertainment category. So there are a lot of interesting users going into retail spaces, not just um, uh, grocery store concepts, but trampoline parks and um, uh, go-kart type of uh, entertainment. So there are some creative uses for these retail spaces. We're seeing niche gyms like SoulCycle and yoga studios. So you know, I think the overall message I would um, mention is that people still like to go out. They like to shop. They like to be out and see what's new. So as long as retailers stay new and fresh, people will come to their stores or their outlets. And um, I think investors would be wise to really recognize that trend in in consumer spending.
0: Yeah, and I think they are. We sell shopping centers in the southeast, and it's just busy. Buyers seem to be very interested. Barbara, thanks for joining us. If you'd like more information, visit Reese.com. Stay with us. We'll have more on the wild and woolly world of retail. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Our show title today What's Up with Retail? And this segment is brought to you by Excelligent, building data everywhere visit excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. It's a place where commercial real estate professionals like us get great information. Yes, so we're talking about retail. Please welcome my next guest, Edward Muey. He's with the REIT Real Estate Equity Research Analyst with Morningstar Credit Ratings. Joining us on the phone, Edward, thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So, Edward, what is going on with REITs? You know, there's with retail REITs in particular, because we're seeing in the uh, in the news a lot of uh, closures, uh, bankruptcies, a lot of closures uh, uh, that we're seeing are coming up in 2017. What do you see?
2: Right. So clearly, there's uh, a lot of disruption within the retail industry right now. Um, a lot of it due to um, the ongoing growth of online commerce and how that's affecting. Uh, traditional retailing today. And so I think what we're seeing right now is, is the shakeout of the growth of, of e-commerce um, while uh, retailers have been trying to adapt to changing consumer behavior um, and really trying to rationalize uh, how big their store, f- store uh, footprints have to be. And that really affects REITs because REITs are the ultimate landlords who are charging these tenants rents. Um, and right now the market is just really uncertain and, and really um, afraid of kind of how uh, retail might look in the future.
0: So how have these retail REITs performed, uh, say, last year in, in first quarter?
2: Um, so within the past several years, uh, retail REITs along with the, the broader REIT market has been relatively strong um, just due to levels, of, uh, low levels of new supply being added to the market since the financial crisis, um, but especially kind of with the new year and uh, the wave of tenants or retailer uh, store closings and, and news of bankruptcies. Uh, retail reads have been hit pretty hard, down uh, approximately 20% from uh, levels in 2016.
0: Wow. So what do you expect moving forward for retail rates?
2: Um, so looking forward, it's really a story about uh, a bifurcation of of quality real estate and the underlying um, properties and the locations that they that they represent. And uh, right now, you know, my opinion is that the market is generally misunderstanding or painting kind of overall retail real estate and retail reads with a, a pretty broad brush. Um, I think there is still a compelling argument to be made for uh, good locations, good um, convenience uh, places where consumers still find. Uh, uh, value in, in the convenience and uh, immediacy of being able to run to the store and, and pick something up. And, and good real estate should uh, prove to be, I think, still criti- a still critical part of retailer uh, merchandising strategies in a future where both physical retail and online retail can coexist.
0: Right, because a lot of that retail is, is necessity driven, right? Some of these, so some of these REITs have freestanding properties that are, that are drug stores, they're auto stores, they're, they're places where we're going to have to go no matter what.
2: Yeah, exactly. A lot of uh, service based uh, companies, like you were mentioning, um, auto stores, and, and even kind of in, in within uh, shopping centers, uh, grocery stores that have been relatively uh, not impacted by the growth of online commerce.
0: So, so how do you expect some of these REITs to perform related to some of these larger malls? Because uh, as you say, some people are painting a, a broad brush that, oh, retail's in trouble. But yet I see some of the, some of the malls uh, in Atlanta, which are, are packed, and uh, they just seem to be doing really well. Rents are still really high, high. Occupancy is really high.
2: Right. I mean, I think like we were talking about before, uh, retailers are looking over their portfolios and and really seeing where they still, you know, really need to have a store open to reach their target customers. And usually those are uh, locations that have proven to be uh, very productive and profitable for them from a uh, sales per square foot point of view um, that have really kept these malls uh, well-occupied and and, uh, customer traffic uh, steady despite kind of the, the overall negative uh, media take on malls. And so um, within the mall industry, there are about 1,200 uh, malls throughout the U.S., and uh, about 400 of them are, are considered high quality. And we expect that um, into the future, as, you know, online becomes a bigger part of retailer strategies, um, they'll be consolidating their locations into these higher quality malls.
0: That's interesting. So there's 800 non-high quality malls. <laughs> Uh, approximately. So what are these REITs doing well, Edward, that, uh, that you see that are doing well with their properties related to some of these closures and, and preparing for it?
2: Sure. So I think at this point, uh, many mall landlords have contingency plans for uh, retailers on their watch lists, uh, retailers who might have some financial difficulty or might need a, a helping hand in terms of um, uh, the next lease they, they might sign. But also, they've really proven to uh, reinvest in their properties and adapt their their assets to changing consumer behaviors. And so, right now, we see a lot of um, a shift in tenant mix from you know away from apparel, which has been uh, relatively hit hard by the growth of e-commerce, to more experiential, um, service-based firms or, or uh, restaurant F&B type options that have uh, really driven increased demand uh, for these properties.
0: So, what should uh, REIT investors who who like the retail space and they want to look at retail REITs? What are some of the things that they might want to think about today?
2: Um, I think just like you know most real estate, uh, it's really about in retail especially about qu- asset quality, and so you're really looking for good locations and and uh, good quality properties with landlords who continually uh, reinvest and adapt um, their offerings to to their tenants and to consumers, and um, a lot of it is uh, you can see within uh, just the underlying fundamentals, high occupancy levels, uh, consistent rent growth, and uh, consistent levels of spending and reinvestment.
0: Okay. And how about the diversity of the assets? Uh, Are there some benefits uh, looking at a REIT that uh, may have some uh, varied exposure to the different property types within retail?
2: Uh, right so you know within retail we're talking you know, uh we're talking about regional mall reads we're talking about shopping center reads um, and i think the story is a little dim- uh, different but similar with within shopping malls or, uh, sorry within shopping centers um grocery anchored shopping centers we uh expect to continue to perform pretty strongly again because uh, grocery has been relatively insulated from uh, growth of online and then like uh, you were mentioning before you know higher quality malls that have uh, tenants who are driving traffic and uh, landlords who are um, you know adapting their, their offering to the consumer to, to really bring in bring in those uh, dollars.
0: And what would be the quick answer Edward to geographic preferences if you looked at retail with a broad brush are there certain areas of the country that you'd say hey if they've got more assets here that may be a, a better one to look at?
2: Um, I guess not necessarily uh, broadly geographically, but I think if you look demographically, um, areas that have uh, low unemployment, uh, proven wage growth, or population growth, and I guess that you, I guess that could lead you to um, you know coastal areas, uh, West Coast and East Coast, but like you know all real estate, it's a very local uh, game.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Good point and good information, Edward. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate you being on the show. Great. Thanks again. Great. Yeah. And and do keep in mind, if you're uh, investing in REITs, you want to look at uh, their management. You want to look at their uh, geographic uh, locations. You want to look at the property types and uh, and, and the types of assets that they have. And uh, I think investing in REITs can be a good way to go, especially if they're down now. Maybe there's some upside. Stay with us. We'll have more on retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Buildout, the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit Buildout.com. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. This segment's brought to you by Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans. Visit getyourplumloan.com, where today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. We're calling the show, What's Up With Retail? And there's good reason to do that. There's so many closures in the news today and uh, please welcome my next guest is Steve Jelinek he's vice president of Morningstar credit ratings and he's joining us on the phone Steve thanks for being with us
3: hi Michael good morning thank you very much pleasure to be here
0: thank you Steve and if you will uh, tell our listeners and viewers what you do at Morningstar related to retailers and retail real estate
3: Uh, sure yeah I head up the CMBS uh, research effort here at Morningstar uh, credit ratings and uh, in that effort we Keep a close eye on um, all the uh, property types in commercial real estate. Uh, that includes retail. Um, and specifically with retail, uh, we work closely with uh, our uh, Morningstar um, corporate credits ratings folks that um, monitor uh, the retail industry. And um, we uh, forecast um, the uh, performance of commercial real estate uh, relative to retail um, and we kind of look forward uh, in terms of uh, uh, rent rolls and uh, occupancy levels that we think might uh, be reaching critical levels um, that might um, uh raise the risk of uh, commercial real estate properties.
0: Yeah, and that's great because that's what uh, investors are trying to do as well, right? whether they're, they're investing uh, in a REIT or in CMBS or in the property at the property level. So, Steve, we, we've heard a lot of closures. Uh, some of the numbers are really mind-boggling. You know, you've got, what, 138 J.C. JCPenney's, 108 Kmart's, you have 42 Sears, 68 Macy's. So what do you guys see and what's the impact?
3: Okay. Um, overall, we don't think it's all doom and gloom, in spite of what you may hear in, in terms of, you know, retail closures and, and bankruptcies. Um, there's many of the retail bankruptcies that we've seen so far um, uh, with uh, smaller inline tenants such as Aeropostale, um, Limited, Wet Seal, etc. Um, those stores don't account for a large amount of space or rent um, in malls. Um, and the leasing expertise and relationships of REITs uh, can help those companies backfill the space, especially in better quality malls where you have stronger traffic. Um, backfilling can happen quickly enough so the loss of rent um, isn't as noticeable. Um, kind of contrast that with lesser quality properties where you may have potential problems. Um Those properties uh, could have problems filling the the empty spaces, and those spaces could stay vacant for uh, an extended period of time. Uh, They could be filled with uh, pop-up stores or temporary tenants, but they typically pay um, less rent and they have shorter lease terms.
2: Uh, Another
3: point is that if the mall is already struggling, uh, then the loss of those tenants um, in rapid succession can worsen the cash flow of those properties and can really accelerate a decline of those
0: properties. Okay. And basically, so let's talk about CMBS then, mm-hmm. because, you know, that's, uh, and CMBS will have lots of different levels of properties, right? From, from really high end to, to some of the uh, B-type properties, right? So what do you think for Correct. CMBS impact moving forward?
3: Sure. Uh, the, the effect on CMBS is, is basically, we're seeing a, a, a bifurcation in, in malls and, and, on, and on CMBS in particular. Um kind of put the numbers in perspective, since 2010, um, there have been 94 mall liquidations that have averaged about 71% loss severity, which is higher than the average, re- significantly higher than the average retail loss severity of about 47%. So obviously when, when a mall goes downhill, um, it, it, it's hard to uh, reverse the trend and losses uh, can be substantial. So the, the loss is, is going to affect the, the CMBS bonds. Um, looking ahead, though, we've seen um, better um, metrics in, in recent uh, retail deals, specifically with, with malls. Um,
0: Less losses?
3: With, um, actually, no, with, with the metrics, uh, in terms of the, the underwriting standards, okay. um, which obviously would translate to the, the more conservative underwriting standards, uh, the better probability of, um, you know, the loan performing uh, until maturity. Um, if we take a closer look at uh, some of the retail loans that have been securitized uh, recently, um, conduit lending appears pretty healthy. Um, the lenders have shifted uh, toward more high-levered high quality properties, um, and the balances have grown as well. Uh, percentage of loans with balances over $100 million grew by 79% uh, in 2016 compared to 2015, um, and the volume of loans, however, of, of balances below $50 million fell 37%. Um, but the larger loans boasted um, LTV levels that were very conservative, about 54%, and they tended to be secured by more premium assets uh, we were talking before about you know sponsorship and REITs, um, and those uh, properties were sponsored by, by strong, with a stronger sponsorship, and the properties themselves are in, are in superior locations.
0: And, Steve, what do you see for default levels right now for retail properties?
3: Well, for retail properties, um, retail actually has the highest default rate in, in CMBS. Uh, I don't have the numbers uh, with me, but it is north of 5%. Um, and, and looking forward uh, in, in uh, conjunction with default levels, we take a look at, at maturity levels because I know you know everyone's talking about the, the wall of maturities. Right. Um, retail, um, there's about 17.9 billion dollars in, in retail loans maturing uh, over the remainder of 2017, and the numbers don't look good um, for. The refinance rate we've got, based based on our metrics, uh, which look at um, LTVs, uh, we forecast a retail maturity rate of about um, 42%.
0: That will the, that will be able to be refinanced be financed, or
3: refinanced. Yes.
0: Okay, <laughs> so that means over half of this 17.9 billion. Uh, is potential losses for these CMBS loans.
3: That is correct. And uh, the main reason for that is most of those loans were um, originated during the peak of the market in 2006, 2007, 2008 uh, when underwriting standards were at their loosest (coughs) Um, uh, with uh, little or no amortization um, and uh, high LTVs and uh, low debt yields. So even better performing properties um, that you know have cash flowed and have not fallen into default may be at risk of um, not being able to pay off um, because they wouldn't qualify for a loan today under today's more conservative
0: standards. Yeah, and it's an interesting time, too, with these kind of... Uh closures and bankruptcies in the news to see you know, who's going to come, uh, come in and, and fund all these and do the loans on them. But we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we'll talk more about retail and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Hi, this is Michael Ball. Check out Plum Lending, the $1 to $25 million commercial real estate specialist. Plum offers you speed, certainty, and preferential turns because it's all driven by technology. Visit getyourplumloan.com. That's getyourplumloan.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. With our day, our show topic is What's Up with Retail? Retail has certainly been a sector that everyone is paying attention to today. And this segment is brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Visit Bull Realty. Dot com and please welcome my guest it's Joel Murphy he's CEO of new market properties here in studio one Joel thanks for being with us Michael good to be here with you well Joel you guys have properties over seven states 3.3 million square feet 16 markets stretched from what atlanta all the way over to texas and everywhere in between you have a lot of grocery anchored centers so i'm wondering with all this news about retailers going bankrupt and retailers closing stores how do your retailers feel right now what do they what do they say into you how are their sales as far as you know and and how do they, what do they say what do they think
4: well, you know, let, let's, let's, let's first, let's take that question and break it down a little bit. So you say retail. Okay, well, the first thing I'd say, in retail, those are wide spectrums. So all the way from malls, enclosed regional malls, fortress-type malls, the great malls in the great cities, the not-so-great malls in cities, all the way to unanchored strip centers and everything in between, like might be a power center, a grocery-anchored center, open-air specialty center. Um, we now at Newmarket, I'm exclusively in the grocery-anchored center. So let me tell you about what um, the broader group is saying and then kind of what our tenants are saying. So on the broader group, I'd say it depends, right? So, you know, if you're Macy's and Sears and the owners of B&C malls and secondary and tertiary markets, it's a hard time. um, Because those people are closing stores. uh, They're going to continue to close stores. Their businesses uh, basically have evaporated. Um, So that's a tough time. Um, In between, there's a lot of really good news and so when we're talking to investors, talking to partners, talking to our shareholders, you know, we're talking about the retail that we have, which is 100% grocery anchored shopping centers with market share leaders like Publix, like Kroger, like Tom Thumb, Harris Teeter, uh, that are kind of spread across our our markets. Mm. Um, Those grocery anchored retailers actually are having comp store sales that are increasing, um, you know, over last year. And that's really even in the face of about a 2% food deflation. So if somebody's up 2%, they're really up closer to about 4%. So in the grocery centered space, it's really quite good now. And know, uh, the grocery tenants themselves, how are their sales faring compared to say a year or so ago? Well, they're up uh, overall. Um, you know, there's uh, Kroger, I uh, was probably getting ready, has announced theirs weren't quite as good as they haven't been in previous years, but yet over, what they were doing the past year, and that could certainly just be in new gross sales because they've added stores, but also the actual stores they have year over year. Mm -hmm. Publix, similarly, so so that, you know, but look, it's a low margin business, tight margin business, Uh, probably wasn't as good as it was last year as it was for them the year before, but their sales are growing Mm -hmm. and their customer traffic is growing as opposed to kind of what's going on with Macy's and Sears which they basically kind of wondered where did their customer go.
0: So what are the trends, Joel, that you see with these grocery stores today? Are they
4: going to downsize more or supersize more? What, what are you seeing for trends? Well, again, it really depends on who. So let's mm-hmm. take an example. In the Southeast, in their stores, Kroger owns a lot of national brands all across the country. Uh, they own chains, the largest, they and Albertsons are really the two largest. They have over 2,500 stores across the country, not always under the Kroger brand. Their strategy has been to get their stores bigger, mm-hmm. Okay, it typically like uh, almost twice as big as the stores they might have, a 430,000 square foot store versus 50. Probably overall, nationally, the trend is to stay moderate and maybe even be slightly smaller mm-hmm. uh, because I think a lot of these grocery stores are realizing that electronic commerce is out there and so they might be able to distribute food to their customer out of a smaller footprint and still remain profitable. Publix, for example, their average store is 45,000 square feet. Mm-hmm.
0: And what about these shop tenants today? What type of shop tenants do you like to,
4: to put around these anchors, and, and which ones are doing better than others? So the type of centers that we have are what I would call necessity-based. I actually refer to it with some of our folks as internet-resistant type retailers. So over 85%, almost 90% of our net operating income comes from five food groups, grocery stores, mm-hmm food and beverage, think restaurants, mm-hmm. service uses, healthcare, and fitness. We have very little apparel, I do have some of that. Mm-hmm. Very little electronics, do have some of that. Very little books, do have some of that, but a very, very small percentage. And, and those folks, a lot of them are local, mm-hmm. a lot of them are regional, a lot of them are franchises, Subway, hair cuttery. Mm-hmm. Uh, local restaurants, we like local tenants, so while their credit profile might not be the credit profile of a Publix center Kroger, they've got their little business that is really important to them mm-hmm. and we pay attention to make sure that those stores are successful and they're very symbiotic with the grocery store because they're uh, more daily traffic generator types. Right.
0: So what do you think about the market today as far as buying and selling properties? Uh, are you a buyer in this market?
4: Yes, absolutely. We're a net buyer for sure.
0: Mm -hmm. So you don't think it's time to sell any of your assets today with
4: interest rates potentially going up over the next few years? Well, I really hope the people we want to buy from are interested in selling (laughs) uh, for sure. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it depends. People are always kind of think about that question, net buyer, net seller. And I think you really to kind of have to look at that. It's not over whether there's a national trend of whether you should buy you should sell. Mm -hmm. It really depends on several things. What is your own business strategy? My business strategy is to grow our grocery anchored base in Sunbelt Markets. Mm -hmm. How am I gonna do that? Acquire. Some people might say, I've owned this asset six years, I've owned it 10 years, it's in an estate, I have reasons why I might like to liquidate. Um, I don't want to be in this market anymore because the public company has told me I need to be in major markets. So I'm going to sell my asset in Greenville, South Carolina, or I'm going to sell my asset in San Antonio because it's not a big enough. Well, I love San Antonio and I love Greenville. So um, certainly a net buyer for sure. As far as what's going on in the overall economic trend, I am actually a little surprised at what happened with this run-up in interest rates. Historically, you would think the run-up in interest rates would affect cap rates and that they would rise, even though typically if you look back in last times, 18 month lag, uh, we haven't seen an expansion in cap rate at all in well-located grocery centers, actually much to my chagrin. Right. Um, And I think the reason is, some buyers are levered buyers, we will put debt on some of our properties, but some people are saying, well the reason that the cap rates haven't changed is I think people have a better expectation of the future. And, you know, so expectation of the future is going to have your effect of can you raise rents and that might over um, might change your view on interest rates because you feel like
0: the future is better. Right. And as you said before, it depends on the location and the property type. So if you're just doing grocery anchored centers, well, that's kind of a favored class right now, that necessity
4: type of retail right? It, it is, and again, much to my chagrin, yeah. uh, but you know, we, I think there's reasons for it. Um, but you still have to be careful. Just any grocery-anchored center is not any other grocery-anchored center. We still pay attention to, is it on the right corner? What are the sales? You brought up sales. Mm-hmm. Um, that is our biggest touch point. Um, we like to buy assets where we really see strong historical sales and sales growth at that grocery store.
0: Right. Well, if the tenant's not doing well, you're not going to do well, right?
4: Their success is our success.
0: That's right. So, so you you buy existing properties, you you've developed properties, uh, you've had a long career in the in the business. So, are there some good development opportunities right
4: now out there? Is there still some time to do it? Well, you know, um, there are, but they're tough right mm-hmm. now. Uh, that's really kind of why we're on an acquisition strategy. We do develop. We mm-hmm. do have one that's under development now. I hope to have more under development. But they're tougher for a couple of reasons. In retail, for you to do a development deal, there has to be this other counterparty who's willing to play, the tenant. Right. Okay, well, they're doing a lot fewer stores. So you think nationally, Uh, before the downturn, Target, it wouldn't have been unusual for them to do 125 stores a year. Last year, they did between five and 10. Okay, grocery stores, the same thing. They're just doing fewer stores. Now, there's good reason for that. They don't need as many new stores. Um, So I think that's one. So the tenants aren't going to be as aggressive um, in new development. And the second one is that land value and construction cost is high. So when you kind of put those two together, that doesn't really make for a great development pro forma. Um, High cost, low rent, uh, it just makes it difficult. And less tenants. Expand. And fewer tenants expanding. Yeah, makes it Now tough. that said, there are still development opportunities, but there are some interesting trends if you look at this. From 1976 to 2008, on average, across our country, all product types of retail, 147 million square feet of new retail was developed year in and year out. That's a big number. Mm-hmm. You take from 2008 to 2016, that number is 36 million square feet. Now that's over an eight or nine year period. It's, over the last 50 years, that number has never been that low for one year, much less over an eight year. And I think it's really a secular deal. Um, so I think the supply side of retail is going to be muted for a long time into the future.
0: Well, that brings up my, my next question, then, your, your outlook on the industry. Because some people are a, a little concerned with retail right now, based on, on what you're saying. If we're not putting out as much supply and we're still growing our
4: population, then what's what's the outlook? Well, I'm going to bring you to talk to my investors next time. <laughs> I, I mean, that is, I do, I think, I think, again, you've got to break out what kind of retail. Yeah. Um, I am bullish about the economy generally, um, but we're very careful about what product type we're going to do in retail. Um, if there's a development opportunity to do, I would not be afraid, nor would any of my competitors or partners be afraid, to do a new retail deal They're just hard to find and make them pencil on a risk-adjusted basis but as far as being bullish on the overriding fundamentals i mean our fundamentals are solid we're yeah. over 95 percent leased in our portfolio 10 of our 31 centers are actually 100 percent leased nice. so but that said economies and these things are a lot of local tenants uh, you have to really pay attention yeah so final
0: question for you what do you think of mixed-use development And the retail part of it,
4: obviously. Sure. Uh, You know, again, I think obviously that's not only just from an intellectual ULI kind of thing, it's what people like, it's what cities like. It's very difficult to execute, and particularly to execute it well. Um, And the reason is, each of these apartments, land, office, retail, their own independent real estate cycles. So, okay, so apartment cycles are in one phase, retail's in another. Well, if you're gonna relaunch a true mixed-use development, you have to launch all of those really at the same time. Well, it might be a great time for retail, not so good for office. The reality is right now it's pretty good you know, for all of the things. Yeah. But it's still difficult, it's very expensive, um, but you, know, you use, uh, for example, in here in Atlanta, um, Aval- there's a Aval- project called Avalon on the north side of town uh, which has all those uses together, but across the country as a whole, uh, they're great properties, and I think they really are the type of properties that are gonna stand the test of time through downturn.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, your point is well made there with retail kind of being tough at some of those developments, and some, some of the municipalities want you to put retail on the first floor of some of these places, and it's not a great place for retail. Because you don't have that grocery
4: anchor, you don't have that draw that's bringing in those shoppers, right? You, there, there are litany across our country of examples, and, and I'm sure all of your listeners would know one in their community, where a jurisdiction said, you're going to build some apartments, we want you to put 20,000 feet of retail in the basement. Right. And that's not really, it's a great, great apartment site, but it's not a great retail site. And so the ones that really work are the ones that have their own independent drivers. Great retail location, great apartment location, great office location. Um, But you can't, that's the tough thing is when you're forced to add a use that really the market doesn't need.
0: I like how you put it in the basement, you know, put it in the basement. Joel, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate uh, your insight. Sure, Michael. And Thanks for joining us on the radio stations, iTunes, YouTube, however you're watching or listening to the show. Please join us next week. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Plum Lending, online commercial real estate loans. Get Valuate, online investment analysis. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And Buildout, the marketing tool for your brokerage.